Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Dijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing The Last of Us and Hello Tomorrow, two vastly different visions of the past, present, and future. That was all Jenny, by the way. Very good. <laughs> Felt very <laughs> natural this time, un- unlike yes. many other occasions. But yes. What, what else has been going on other than like the ability to make connective tissue between two totally different things? <laughs> I just have a little gripe this week, which is not a new or original or a fresh gripe at all. But man, the fucking healthcare in the United States is, mm-hmm. is just awful in, in terms of having it potentially not having it, just everything, man. Like, and this is, of course, as I said, not new at all, but just um, landing in a situation where you potentially don't have it, like that really opens one's eyes up even more to the reality. Yeah, that's just, that's just my plain old uh, cliche, typical gripe. Healthcare here fucking sucks. It is terrible. Dude, you should, I still don't understand it, but you should have seen me the day that I found out about deductibles. (laughs) <laughs> in in <laughs> i was already in the hospital right it was the top of the year i didn't know how any of it worked right and they were like right so you need to pay uh three thousand dollars and mm-hmm. i was like you fucking what mate <laughs> and they were like yeah that's the only way this is covered i'm like, like what, what how the much fuck would it have been if i didn't pay for? the free th- yeah and like what like what and then like i had to call andrew to be like i think they're scamming me <laughs> <laughs> and he was like no, that no, that's that's correct. And I was like, it is a scam. Oh, but so they're also, legally yeah, scamming me. Okay, yeah. 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 There's like fuck all I can do about it. All right. Um. Yeah. No, it's terrible. And I do want to say to any British people listening, this is what the Tory government want. And as someone that is currently living here, uh, you better start the revolution if they try. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, good. Good. It call is to not arms. fun. Absolutely. It is not fun. Meanwhile, what else is going on with you, Pellin? Um, I'm all right. You know. Uh, there's new developments with the short film. I love that people want to hear about this um, or not. I don't know, but it's that's moving on. I'm having loads of fun with that. But the thing that's been pissing me off the most this week, I think, and the thing that's been on my mind uh, is the fact that Southside is cancelled now on mm. HBO Max. And it makes me so angry because it's just one of the best comedy series that we've had in recent times. Um, if you do not already watch it, I implore you all to go and check it out before they get rid of it (laughs) straight up because i feel like they might yeah i'm so mad i I heard that they're shopping it around so Mm. i hope that somebody like actually goes out and gets it so they can keep doing what they're doing speaking of fans on hbo max uh tell us what did you watch this week melon so this week i've been watching the last of us it's the sunday night at hbo show and it is i think by the time this podcast episode is out it's going to be episode seven So this show is based on the wildly popular video game of the same name, The Last of Us. Uh, The TV show instead is run by Neil Druckmann, who's the co-creator of the game and also the co-president of the company that owns the game, Naughty Dog. And also Craig Mazin, who you will know from Script Notes podcast and also (laughs) Chernobyl, which is on HBO Max too. So in this world, in 2003, a fungal pandemic breaks out where cordyceps take over humans at breakneck speed and turn them into fungus-riddled zombies, uh, which in this world they're called clickers. We meet Joel, who's played by Pedro Pascal. He's a single father to Sarah, who's played by Nico Miller, um, aka Tandue Newton's daughter. 
and looks exactly like her, by the way. Mm-hmm. Joel is a veteran, and he's also a contractor with his brother Tommy, played by Gabriel Luna. And on Outbreak Day, we see how quickly it spreads and how it directly impacts his family. Then we cut forward to 20 years later. He's in a quarantine zone, a.k.a. QZ, um, of a fascist body of government called FEDRA that has since taken over the world, or at least in America, as far as, far as we know. Um, FEDRA runs each QZ in cities across the country, and all of its inhabitants um, have to deal with their you know, fascist rules, which are if they break a rule, uh, they are hung um, in public. Very old school. And... Um, while all, this, all of this is happening, there's also a resistance group called the Fireflies. So it's looking pretty bleak. And Joel and his partner, Tess, played by Anna Torv, who you will know from Mindhunter, they're, they're both of them, they're tasked with carrying a 14-year-old girl called Ellie across the country for the sake of research because it seems that she's the only person that's immune to the illness. So they want, they want to basically figure out a vaccine uh, using her blood. So this is like a classic older person which is usually a man and a younger kid format. So we've seen this before in like Logan. We've seen it before um, in Gloria, the Gina Rollins Gloria, um, and then also like Tree Grit as well. So are you caught up? Yes, I am. What were your initial thoughts when I was like, I'm definitely going to talk about this show? I think it it is one of those big HBO Sunday Night Productions, like you said. So I think a lot of people, including myself, are all pretty much set on watching it, giving it a try. Yeah. I have not played the video games. I know how popular the the original game and its sequel are. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am s- something of a gamer in the Animal Crossing, Stardew I mean, yeah, more Valley than me. type, but not yeah, this kind of gamer necessarily. But yeah, I was interested in it, not for the video game adaptation aspect, but just to see like what is this new apocalypse end of the world zombie pandemic type of big budget big scale production gonna be like yeah yeah i mean for me it was also the fact that it was going to be a sunday night at hbo they clearly put so much money into it there was so much hype around it obviously we love pedro pascal boyfriend of the pod and on top of that for me it was a craig mazin thing because i really liked chernobyl I i really liked what he did with it i think he's a really talented showrunner so that was like the draw for me also i mean i'm definitely not a gamer like at all i don't own any of the devices but for those like me that aren't gamers just to kind of put it into perspective i think as of december 2022 this game just the first one sold 37 million copies and like i think the gamer world and like just in general the amount of money that it makes is insane like it's it's way more I think the industry itself makes just as much, maybe more money than movies and and TV shows. So it's like, you know, there was hype around this that was completely validated by the fact that there's a market for this. There's an audience for for this. So honestly, like my first impressions um, were a little bit like, well, you know, I watched The Walking Dead and I kind of gave up on it by season two, episode two. And... I think a lot of people actually, when I approach them and when I ask them if they're watching this, they're like, what is that? That that zombie show? I don't know. I don't really like zombie stuff. I didn't really like Walking Dead by the end of it. And I get that entirely. This does feel very different, but we'll get into it a little bit more. So speaking of Craig Mazin, did you ever watch Chernobyl? No, I didn't. 
highly recommend it very very uh dark <laughs> so just take that with uh with a pinch of salt but it was also such a well-crafted series and we see it here one of the formats that it starts off with are prelude scenes so like scenes before the we get into joel and his world and in it, i think so far it's only happened in the first two episodes and Essentially, it's basically like there's one instance, this 1960s uh, talk show guest who specializes in like viral pandemics or whatever. And then also in another episode, a cordyceps specialist, they basically, the both of them basically tell us something that is actually factually true. If a fungal pandemic did happen, it would be impossible to cure it. And as we find out from the cordyceps specialist, the only answer is to bomb the people into smithereens so that it doesn't spread beyond a certain border um it kind of sets the stakes for us to kind of uh, to understand the gravity of the situation to me it felt like it tapped into the anxiety that we felt for the last like three years with chernobyl it was more about fake news and like truth setting and like who gets to tell the truth and like that trump era shit that doesn't seem to have really gone away um so yeah, I, I think there's like ideological scene setting here, which I appreciate. It's not escapist. <laughs> I'll just say that much. How do you, how did you feel about like those prelude scenes? Was it too much? Did it feel too on the nose? No, I thought they were good and, and interesting. And I kind of wish we, it's maybe too much of a device to lean on for the whole series, but I wouldn't have minded getting more of those. Although I don't even know what that would mm. look like, but just this sort of like cold yeah. open, uh, kind of prelude from another place another character or something like that um i, I don't mind yeah. that generally as a device but i understand how it could be hard to keep up over the episodes so the biggest thing about this show and the biggest question that i've seen come up over and over again is does this show feel like a video game and honestly if i was to answer this question right now it would feel like a little bit yeah um, I see the fingerprints of it. I see some of the formats of it, but I don't know how much of that is me looking for it because I know it's based on a video game. And also how much of it is the things that make a video game interesting or are also the things that make a TV show interesting. Does it feel like a video game to you? Well, I think you have, like, what does a video game feel like? I guess that's like the, the right question um, to yeah. be able to answer this. And I don't know what the answer to that is. There are so many video games now, right? They take so many different formats. A lot of them have really well-developed stories and narratives and plots. Um, maybe by feels like a video game, if people mean that in a derogatory way, they could probably mean like, oh, the story's weak. It's just like, you know, fighting and shooting and the characters are just kind of like thin archetypes. Um, yeah. But, you know, The Last of Us, I think, was very well known for being... Uh, a very well-developed narrative. Like, there is a, mm -hmm. a, a clear story and setting and characters with yeah. motivations and a sort of journey. Um, and that sort of episodic journey is like video games, but it is also just like any sort of quest story, which is, like, very common yeah. in, in books and movies and TV as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess you could say it feels like a video game in that way, but in, you know, video game can feel like a, a story as well. Well, the thing that I think has been interesting is I've been reading some fan uh, feedback from, like, the game and how they feel about the TV show. And honestly, it seems to be predominantly celebrated. I think a lot of them are quite mm -hmm. impressed by what the TV show is doing. Um, like you said, the game was already celebrated and was popular because of the story and because of, like, the investment and the devastation emotionally as people were playing it. 
So they've tapped into that, obviously. And I think, you know, when you see some comparison videos between the game and the TV show, some some of them are shot for shot the same. Like they've intentionally Mm -hmm. decided to be like, yeah, we like this sequence in the video game. I think it would really work if we just basically did a live action version of it. I don't notice those scenes. Like I've, you know, like I think the scene where they're trying to get out of Austin on Outbreak Night uh, was shot for shot the same. And I didn't feel it. it was just like really, really exciting. So it was always like narratively minded um, and like the action sequences are also interesting to watch and look at. So it makes sense as to why it, it you kind of can't tell the difference between the two. Yeah, it kind of reminds me like the way I'm feeling about it. It reminds me a little bit of how like Game of Thrones started. Like I didn't even know they were books and hadn't read the books, but I was like thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Thoroughly enjoyed the storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it stands on its own, basically. Exactly, yeah. And the fans like had fun picking it apart. You know, like they liked some things that the the, the TV show had done to adapt from the books, um, and would like break it down. There's a lot of like excitement for the fans. So there's something there for the fans as well, like of the game as well as for those that are completely like new to it. And that's you know that's a sweet spot, isn't it? Um, let's get into like a little bit of like the tone and the feel and like what the show kind of gets into obviously this is kind of like a post-apocalyptic world after this devastating pandemic um this is essentially i think the top line is like humanity when society collapses there's a lot of shows about this it's what zombie shows or post-apocalyptic shows are essentially trying to answer i think there was a probably a point <laughs> post like once the pand- our pandemic happened um in the real world maybe too soon to get into but i think now like three three or four years after it it's good to kind of see and understand these themes that keep coming up um you know i recently rewatched station 11 and it just hit so much sweeter now that is the best um oh. societal collapse pandemic same sort yeah, of I thing totally agree. Uh, hands down i think like in comparison yeah. to this not to draw too many comparisons but uh i remain just like sounded by station 11 and i love that once an episode of last of us finishes it will give you suggestions to watch mm-hmm. um some of their other like if you like this you'll like this and the first thing to come up is station 11 mm-hmm. thank you so much algorithm team at hbo max <laughs> excellent good um and then obviously there's the leftovers which um isn't necessarily about societal collapse it's just about like what happens to humanity when something devastating happens both very good shows love that whole thing about like who are we as people and then the, obviously the classic subtext is uh with with monster content like anything about monsters whether it's zombies or anything else the essential message is that humans are the real monsters and i think this show uh does a pretty good job of answering that question and also like examining it so you know we see it as the series progresses we see how for example like i mentioned Fedra publicly executes people that break rules. Um, how the rarest commodity is trust. Um, you know, there's like a whole mini story arc within it with Melanie Linsky's character and Kansas City when they reach Kansas City. And then obviously, of course, how Joel and Ellie have seen, I mean, at that point, but like we've watched six episodes, the two of them have seen more danger with other humans than they have with uh, the clickers. So that, you know, that ultimately tells you what you need to know um but there is happiness you know i think the celebrated episode three is something that people still talk about which is really fascinating what were your thoughts after watching this uh this episode yeah so this episode is 
I guess some people have called it a bottle episode. A New York mag takes big issue with people calling it a bottle episode. But anyway, um, it's... It's very like warm and and heartwarming and and sweet and sad. It is basically more or less a love story and a bittersweet one because it ends in death, uh, but death in a way that is also still like quite moving and sweet. You know, my visceral reaction was just like, of course, emotional because it is designed exactly to be emotional. It's not necessarily like very novel or uh, an original sort of love story. Um, but that doesn't really matter, I guess. Um, they changed it from the video game. I think the yes. story of this couple, this gay couple who are, you know, live on their own little settlement, very mm-hmm. self-sustained. And they changed it in a way that I think people found really interesting because the video game was much more cynical about this couple and the, life they shared and the love or dislike of each other sometimes that they share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it very much made it into more of a beautiful, like up uh movie sort of parallel kind of thing. I mean, yeah, I couldn't help but be like really touched and really moved and, and emotional because that is exactly what it was made for. Um yeah, But yeah. yeah, I know that there was some like discourse about this. Um What did yeah. you think about it in general, Helen? No, I mean, I, I loved it just because I love sad and melancholy. So like, I'm European. We love this shit. And we were all, I think, raised on that scene in the Titanic of the couple in the bed. I loved it because I think that it kind of showed you how there can be dignity in death in a way that is obviously sad, but there's a choice here and they love each other and they had each other this whole time. And that's just that, you know, like... For example, what I loved about Station Eleven, where like art persists and it keeps us sustained and everything, it's kind of saying that about love and like how it worked for these two. I think the discourse is probably like fucking annoying <laughs> once it happened. I knew it was going to just because it reminded me so much also of like San Junipero, um, the Black Mirror episode, mm-hmm. um, and you know the usual like sad gay shit <laughs> that yeah. we love. We love to kind of get into. I guess like I I did like see how that critique could be made um where the sure, critique yeah. of this is like yeah we're we're just going into another trope of like a gay love story and then gay death um yeah. and it's made for like it it definitely seems sort of made for um awards contention yeah. in a way i can yeah. see some of that i can see like some of the merits of that argument too but you know ultimately i still was quite moved by it um same yeah just like naturally whether i wanted to be or or not yeah, exactly. Same. And I think like Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett's performance was so good and I love the both of them. Um, yeah, I, I love seeing them together. It's like, what a what a great combination. Yeah. And that strawberry scene where they eat the strawberry, I was like, cry laughing because uh, <laughs> I could kind of feel their joy through the screen. It was just amazing. Um, yeah, I liked it. I also love the, the discourse that came after it, even though some of it was annoying. I think this is what TV is. It's, what, it's when it's fun, you know, when people kind of get stuck into it. One thing I want to talk a little bit about is I think the show does something similar to what Andor did, where one or two episodes go off on a bit of a tangent from the main uh, storyline or the main mission of Joel and, and Ellie. So we did get, you know, like episode uh, three, and then we also have the Kansas City storyline. Most recently, we saw them in Wyoming. Yeah, I think that is what Quest and Journey style narratives kind of have to do just by like yeah. 
yeah. dance of the genre. Like, it can't just be like, oh, they got from point A to point B, and then some stuff happened. That's too yeah. short. Or yeah. if they, like, describe in painstaking detail how they did their three-month journey across the, the country without much happening except survival, that's also not a very interesting story. So, it, yeah. you know, you kind of have to have these these episodes. Um, so, yeah, this definitely fits in with that sort of narrative choice. Yeah. How did you feel about the latest episode where we skipped time, like, quite considerably? I think it was, like, three months or something between yeah. the episode prior to that. Did it feel like it gelled? Did it make sense to you? It was a little jarring to me i think i had been looking forward to seeing like okay where does their actual mission take them to and how do they like move forward with their you know their own personal uh quest but the way that you know that jump occurred and then how some of the pacing felt in the latest episode where they mm-hmm. or the the episode that we saw most recently episode six um as we're talking about this it felt a little bit different from the episodes that had come before it, where it was more of a little bit more of a, not necessarily meandering journey, but definitely mm-hmm. one where they, you know, they had this pit stop here, pit stop there, you know, this yeah. is how all of these things yeah. add up on their journey. So it felt a little bit not quite gelling for me totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think there was, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of would have liked to have just had one more episode in between the two of them. Maybe like a month jump or a two month jump, right? Yeah, like we, of the three. yeah. I think that's actually one of my complaints about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, like the depth of emotion, the developing of a a deeper emotional tie and bond between these two characters. Like it yeah. is something that we're supposed to buy, we're supposed to understand, we're supposed mm-hmm. to realize the stakes of. As yeah. they really try to hit home in episode six, um, when it is that question of like. Will they separate? Will they stay together? It's like father and daughter, almost. Um, yeah. But I just don't feel that we've seen enough to really get me to that point where I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah, like they, of course, they're basically father and daughter. Like, I don't really see that. I have not really seen that much yeah. to that extent. And, yeah. and the yeah. way these characters both are, especially like Pedro Pascal's character, Joel, like he is written to be and in the the game i assume he also was just like a very sort of he holds everything inside character like all his cards mm-hmm. close to his very chest stoic. his emotions yeah. yeah very stoic you know he's had some bad stuff happen to him in the past and he's done some bad stuff presumably we keep getting you know hints about that thrown around mm-hmm. but i just it's very hard with a character like that to give him much room to be able to show that he is getting yeah. closer and closer to this person he may or may not consider to be his new like quasi daughter and yeah yeah yeah. so i'm missing some of that kind of emotional um development and character development between these these two central figures and that is something that to be honest like sometimes i'm i'm not like raring to go for the next episode here like each week to week i am gonna get around to each episode but it's not something where i'm like parked in front of my tv on sunday night going like what's gonna happen to them next no i hear you i think it does leave you a little bit cold um that being said i think pedro pascal is doing his absolute best and yeah with episode, material totally yeah with the with whatever you know he's given um obviously gorgeous man love him but i think episode <laughs> episode six he really was amazing um there's a scene with him and his brother tommy uh mm-hmm. where he's talking about his anxiety and he's so good at explaining what's going on with him and we finally get that from joel 
which I think was needed. Also, you know, Bella Ramsey, who plays Ellie, a former Game of Thrones alumni herself, mm-hmm. like she's she's so good. She really surprised me. I'm not gonna lie. Like obviously she had so much like gumption in her performance when she was even younger in Game of Thrones, and that's why she became such a fan favorite immediately after her performance there. But she's really good at like drilling down on on Ellie being insufferably annoying and also someone that has clearly seen some shit as a teenager but still has that childish like curiosity about her my favorite thing is obviously the way that she is very new to the old world stuff so like a car or music or certain things and maps um all of these things uh, are very fun to have her experience and like for us to kind of see through the lens and like station 11 did this a little bit as well with one of their younger characters that were born mm. post-pandemic um mm. it's always fun uh, when you hear someone trying to explain how the world works for us right now to someone that has never heard of it it's kind of like she's an alien in a way mm-hmm. it's great um and I quickly want to just give a shout out to the visuals of this. I think there's a beauty of the cordyceps that we get to see in this. And unlike like, you know, other viral infections for other zombie shows or films and stuff, the fact that the infection is fungal um, lends itself to the fact that we can virtually see how the infection spreads. Mm-hmm. So like the way that they use like the prosthetic, like the hair and makeup department, and then also the production design department, it all looks really stunning. I think it looks really mm-hmm. beautiful um, in a way that, is a little bit gross, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, t- terrifying, <laughs> but effective. It's t- super terrifying, but super original too. And, you know, like, as you know, as an earth sign, I love this shit. Like, I love anything <laughs> related to mushrooms and soil and earth. So, well, you better um, watch no- out. I mean, I'm not on the I'm not on the side of the cordyceps uh, necessarily, but I get it. If that's what you need to do, bro, that's what you need to do. Um, a couple questions before we go. Uh, what has been your favorite episode so far? Uh, favorite episode. I actually really like the second episode where we do mm. get that, you know, a little bit about what happened in Indonesia right at the outbreak and sort of yeah. the hints of why that happened, how that happened. Yeah, and just yeah, like yeah. this very stark sort of, um, stakes kind of thing. So yeah. I think I like that episode a lot, probably mostly for that. Are you a prepper or are you throwing the towel in as soon as something like this happens? Um, I think I do naturally kind of have prepper, you know, tendencies and instincts. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I have tried to buy like some like, oh, get a headlamp, you know, get this sort of like big solar powered lamp or something in the past. I've always looked at like these hurricane or like storm survival kits for a long time and been thinking like, yeah, I should get, I should make one of those. I should like really get into it. But in reality, I also know like I'm probably just gonna die if something like this happens like i'm i'm not really a huge fighter to be honest yeah i'm also not inclined like i'm too scared to try and find something like what they have in wyoming which is obviously the ideal you know Mm -hmm. like i'd I'd love to go be a communist in wyoming yeah yeah but i don't know if i have the gumption to make it there (laughs) so (laughs) yeah um rest in peace to us if this ever happens All right, Jenny, so what did you watch this week? This week I watched Hello Tomorrow, with an exclamation point. <laughs> that is on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a new series, a sci-fi comedy drama created by Amit Bala and Lucas Jansen. Uh, four episodes are currently out, which I know might make this a little bit premature, a little bit soon, but uh, I think I, I have kind of formed an opinion based on the first four episodes. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so this series, it stars Billy Crudup as Jack, a traveling salesman who, along with his crew of fellow salespeople, he hawks properties and timeshares on the moon to regular old sad sacks on Earth. Mm-hmm. So obviously, with the moon being a real possible contender for a property, this is set in kind of a futuristic world, a retro-futuristic world to be exact, where it's very much like mid-century modern meets tech like robots, hover cars, um, self-popping popcorn machines, things like that. It's very much in the vein of like uh, the Jetsons or something like that, but even more leaning on the mid-century modern side, like yes. down on Earth. Yeah. So um, how far along in this are you, Pellin, and what are your thoughts initially? I'm caught up on it, and my thoughts were, honestly, like I, I didn't even read anyone writing about it. I didn't see any promo about it. I just saw mm-hmm. the artwork on this on the, on the Apple TV app, and I just kind of clicked in to be like, fuck it, let me give this a go. Um, yeah. Just because I like the way it looked and I like the yeah. the packaging of it, um, and it's definitely different. It's for the most part, it's uh, it's fine. Like it's entertaining enough. It's yeah. kind of how I feel. Yeah, yeah. Let's start with um, the positive side of it, which is just gotta really shout out the production design, which oh is God, yeah. really amazing. Um, production designer Maya Siegel. Um, she had a little bit of a, an interview with The Verge. So we'll link to that in our newsletter. But yeah, this really just nails that mid-century aesthetic. It is so beautiful. It's so gorgeous. If you love those kind of woods and exactly how that look appears. Um, and then you also get all of these really interesting gadgets, which are deliberately designed to be a little bit clunky, you know, a little bit quaint, a little bit quirky. They, they look like what people half a century ago probably thought the future would look like so not really the sleek um you know chrome and stainless steel of of nowadays or what we might imagine um currently in our future but very much a sort of like old school kind of tech it's a very particular look i think we all get very um aesthetically pleasured by it but the way that (laughs) the way that yeah the way that the technology like works into it it's pretty genius. Um, the Jetsons reference is so fucking good because you're so right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Did you have a favorite uh, bit of tech or gadget or something that appears on the show so far? I like the the way that the Zoom calls are set up <laughs> within this world. <laughs> like the, the visual calls um, just because they're built into a very traditional TV set where the screen is very small um, and it's in mm-hmm. black and white. So I think that, that to me is like the perfect encapsulation of what they're trying to do with technology in the mid-century world, which is mm. it looks old, except what's going on in inside of the technology is quite modern for the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I like mm-hmm. that. What about you? I have, as, as far as like silly kind of useless little gadgets go, I really like the handheld like popcorn poppy machine uh, that they they sell the ball games. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I also really like the way the hover cars look, just like from yeah. a pure design standpoint, that looks... So much like a sort of, yeah, 50s, 60s kind of uh, regular car. Yeah, yeah. 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 But then you see like there's nothing underneath. It is really just hovering along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, it's just like so cool. It really satisfies that kind of um, design and uh, mid-century sort of nerd in in a lot of us, I bet, in us, definitely. Have you ever been to- It's very cool. Have you ever been to the TWA hotel in 
in no in no i've seen tons of pictures i i bet i would love it you would love it yeah. it's really cool we we did like we had a really early flight one time when we were going mm-hmm. out to mexico city and we just stayed there the night before um oh. and it was really great and that it encapsulates that time in that world right like where design was thought futuristically too um mm-hmm. so it, it's very like one for one like very similar to whatever it is that they're going for here as well mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also cool that like this, so the, the sort of production design, the visuals of this, the series, they, they tie in very thematically as well to what is going on with this series and with the time period, like in the fifties, that sort of suburban boom, um, the housewife era, it was like something that's very sort of cheery and optimistic about that. Um, it's like America is, is here, we're industrialized, we're, we're producing things, we're looking toward the future. Yeah. But also, obviously, you know, we know history, and then also in this series as well, we see hints of the all of this like relentless cheer um, and optimism. It is kind of just papered over and concealing a much darker side of capitalism, consumerism, uh, homogeneity, like all this kind of sameness of the factory line and the the suburban cookie cutter houses and stuff like that. So, you know, we get that tie in as well thematically. Um, so, you know, all, all stars, 10, 10 out of 10 for the world building on the visual side of things and the design side of things for yeah, sure. Yeah. And um, I, I do want to give also a shout out to yeah. For All Mankind, which is also an Apple TV plus show. And it's mm. also about an alternate history in America where space and like the moon landing like all of that, that the space wars that were happening went a different way. Um, and, mm. and what, would have happened if it did and the fact that you know apple tv plus is also kind of tapping into this this world of like eero saranen-esque um futurism it's interesting that they're the ones they keep leaning it's tonally very different don't get me wrong but it is also funny Mm. that both of these shows are on apple tv plus so i love this shit. yeah but where i think i have a little bit more issue with um and i want to get into a little bit is the the story and the characters um Mm. So in this story, obviously, we have two central narrative threads, both of which sort of center on uh, the idea of a lie. And so we have Jack, the main character, his deception of his customers and employees about whatever is going on the moon, this whole business venture. But we also have Jack's um, deception of his son, who doesn't know that this guy is his father who abandoned, mm-hmm. you know, their family many, many years ago. Yeah, That would seem to have a lot of potential and promise like these are two interesting ideas and how they can connect with each other and intertwine but i don't think they're handled quite so elegantly yet yeah like the writing and the pacing of the show is a little bit weird like we crucial information seems to be like dropped in um and then moved past pretty quickly in this like with not that much weight to, to to breathe or to hit us and then we have some I'm going to say, frankly, like kind of uninteresting or or stupid storylines that take up a lot more screen time that I'm just not really interested in. You're talking about the Eddie one, right? The the gambling storyline? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Whatever is going on with um some of these side characters is just like not very, like they're, they're, it seems like it takes up so much screen time. Yeah. And I will say like for all the praise that we've given for their world building, we have been stuck in the same town. 
um, yeah. and the same hotel. I didn't, yeah, I didn't like that. Don't that like choice is yeah. in the narrative. Like I understand why. Like he wants to stay in the town that his son is in to kind of like keep raising him essentially without being you know. But um, mm-hmm. no, I don't. I don't like that we've been in the same hotel and the visuals are yes. now boring to me. Like it's mad that I was so taken with it in the first episode or two, and now I'm just I feel a little bit bored. Um, but you're absolutely yeah. right. I think the pacing and the the parceling out of information and the drama, um, is tough like and this is this is what that's the difference between a fine show and a good show is yeah. if you can parcel it out it's not the premise the premise is fun it's interesting i like the it. premise it, is great yeah. the world is amazing the characters and the tone great but uh yeah if you it, it, the, the way that you parcel out information and the pacing of a show is kind of like what sets you apart um mm-hmm. and i think they've got they've got to figure that out a little bit and i don't know don't know if they ever will i'm gonna keep watching it don't get me wrong but like tbd yeah yeah Yeah, i totally agree um and i also am probably gonna keep watching it but um i also think that the characters are like so far aside from like billy crudup he's who's really you know he's giving all of his 100 percent billy crudup effort into this um a lot of the characters so far seem pretty much thinly sketched out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're is not that much to like they all get a very assigned these very sort of broad traits um yes. like yeah i really don't like that that gambler dude like he's such a caricature same with the, like the nerdy guy who always wants to one-up the the newbie like he's striving to become teacher's pet like yeah. shirley who i say is like probably one of the more potentially interesting characters she is jack's number two essentially but she's still kept in the dark she's still quite a broad character like they 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 kind of really assign them archetypes and they're not shown delving for that so much so far yeah again we're still early days but it's hard to understand some of these characters like why they are the way they are like what is there gonna be some change there some development also like what i love about the tone is also the thing that trips it up which is it does have this zany feel to it and there's Mm -hmm. a shtick to to the world and also to each character and the way that they talk mm. to one another yeah you know every now and again they'll swear and it'll feel very real and very lived and closer to what we understand real life to be but for the most part it is like a fantastical truman show-esque uh way yeah, that these guys are talking Truman-esque. to each other and it's fun don't get me wrong like i think a lot of these actors are having fun with it um, like you mentioned the teacher's pet character. I think Deshaun Williams, the guy that plays him, he's perfect for this role. Um, mm-hmm. and then also I think like Alison Pill, who I love, and I've always loved Alison Pill, like that she plays the housewife that's trying to get out of there. Um, she's having, clearly having so much fun, like comedically acting it. I suppose so. I really don't like her performance, but I suppose she's going for it. Yeah. Like she knows that she's meant to be the annoying, like, Anyway, but it's it, it's funny that they're all doing their absolute best with the zaniness, but in terms of the interiority, you're absolutely right. I don't get it. And like, yeah, with like Hanifa Wood is such a good actress. She plays Shirley. Um, I think that she could be given a lot more to work with um, mm. with regards to like what she's going through with Eddie, for example. So yeah, you're right. It is it is a little thin right now. It does feel a little bit yeah, yeah watered down. And again, we are early days. Um, but I think that is maybe one of the hard parts about this series so far, which is like that tone, getting that tone mix just right. Mm-hmm. And it does balance, like you said, this sort of like zany, a little bit characterized, um, you know, Truman-esque side. And then there's the, the much sort of 
darker um, dystopian edges that remind me a little bit of Severance, which is another Apple TV Plus production that, you know, also plays with elements of retrofuturism. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like those hints that we get of the darker side. We have not gotten that many hints of that yet because it yeah. is getting cut in with the this sort of broad comedic uh, side. It's also get cutting in with like a lot of the sentimental side, primarily, yeah. but you know, Jack and his son, Joey. Um, I just love to see more of that little bit of creepy, eerie, um, very compelling side that, that lurks underneath yeah. all of this, the premise. Yeah. And I do want to give a shout out to Nicholas Podany, who plays Joey, the son. Um, mm-hmm. at first glance, you, you, it kind of feels like miscasting, but as the, show has progressed he's been giving me the most nuanced performance um Mm -hmm. where you kind of get to see his hope and his excitement and then also this like brimming anger towards his father underneath it so we touch up on it every now and again but i think him and billy are like such good scene partners so Mm -hmm. i like when they're in a scene together and i like like in the latest episode where they have a conversation in a hallway in the hotel i i i love that and i really wish we kind of got more of that um and maybe we maybe we maybe will, we will yeah. yeah again like maybe this is premature yeah. um i do hope that the show picks up in the way that we want it to pick up uh, yeah. because it is very interesting to look at and again the premise is solid there's a lot of potential and promise here I guess we'll see in the upcoming episodes this season yeah. if it really you know reaches that promise This week in Culture Notes, we are talking Succession updates. So as we hope you all know, Succession is coming back in March for its fourth, and now we know it's final season. Yes. Um, The showrunner, Jesse Armstrong, he revealed to The New Yorker and other publications that, yeah, this is it. And we're getting this news as the hype is building up for the upcoming season as Jeremy Strong is getting profiled in GQ, as Kendall Roy and Jeremy Strong fan cams are just like flooding TikTok and every social media channel. Like he is, he is baby girl, essentially. He is the baby girl of the moment. And we all love him for it. Helen, you already kind of knew about the succession, you know, final season news for a while, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, uh, one of the, like the worst kept secrets, I think in the, in the previous (laughs) weeks, just because there's been so many interviews and so many, uh, actors that have been interviewed. Also, Jesse Armstrong has been hedging and yeah, like when, when they've asked about like how many more seasons, it's always been like, well, it might be one more. It might end at the end of this. It's always been very like unclear and fuzzy. And I always find that whenever there's a lack of clarity with stuff like that. It means that it's usually about to end and they can't really say. But I did know because I had a source within the production um, who knew that it was wrapping up and kind of told me about it. And yeah, you've been well, you know, sitting on this for like a couple months. Yeah. And like, you know, when, when I've told some of my trusted friends and like, you know, let them know, it's funny, half of them have been like so sad about it. And because <laughs> they were expecting one more season at least. And then a lot of my friends were like, yeah, I think it's time actually. I think, I think it's a good place to wrap it up. How do you feel? How do you feel about this news? I'm in both camps i think to be honest i'm very sad because it is honestly one of my favorite shows ever but i also recognize like it is that natural endpoint um and i think it's good that it is choosing to meet that fate in a way that's like timely and natural um so i'm both i'm i i can't i totally recognize this is the right decision but also 
very sad because i i love the show yeah and i will say like once this final season comes out we're probably gonna milk it and have a couple of episodes i'm sure i'm sure yeah, like about about the season itself um how do you think it's gonna end yeah well i have a slight spoiler this is spoiler territory if you don't want to potentially know something that i yeah. found out some new yorker editor i follow he tweeted uh along with the jesse armstrong news mm -hmm. he just tweeted that he personally saw on the upper east side um this filming or preparation or, or whatever uh rehearsal where there's clearly a funeral <gasps> so <laughs> but, make of that what you will but isn't I sex think in the city filming right now too was it definitely i think he's i think he said it was succession oh, it was succession. so i'm yeah. sorry if that if anyone chose to continue listening to this segment and and you got that potentially in your head, I'm sorry if that spoils anything for you. No, but it's fine. I love. I it. think I'm it excited. completely makes sense. No, I mean, and it still doesn't give everything away. Like it's either no, gonna be, it doesn't. It's gonna. It's you, we don't know who the person that has died is. I mean, we can all predict it's either gonna well, be Logan or Kendall. But um, yeah, yeah. TBD. I'm gonna I, lean. I'm gonna lean Logan on this one. Interesting. I'll go Kendall then. Oh, just, all right. We'll jokes. see. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, especially because, like, I think this GQ piece that that came out with um, the cover story with Gabriella Paella, who interviewed him for the profile, it it kind of felt like a piece that was trying to get ahead of something in a way, or mm -hmm. a signal to casting directors and agents um, that he's like ready to work, and he has yeah. a process that he deeply dedicated himself to. And he's just like, it, I don't know, it felt like not necessarily a puff piece because we love him and I love, I, I love the New Yorker article. I, I had a very positive reaction to how he is. Yeah, I, too. Love, I love the New Yorker profile, Jeremy. I, th like I thought it was, was great. He came off great, uh, even though he's quite, uh, he said in this GQ piece that he's ashamed of it. But with this, G <laughs> with this GQ piece, I did, it did feel, yeah, it, it felt like a pitch in a way mm -hmm. um so, yeah he's saying like you know i'm i'm ready i'm ready to go right um, like and like who am i after this role and there's just something about that i mean i mean I, it could be just because you know the show's ending and they were trying to get ahead of that but there, there seemed to be something a little bit more poignant about it um and that just gave me the impression that it might end in death tbd we will TBD. find out i'm so TBD. excited i'm so yeah. excited i'm me excited too. to see what jesse armstrong's gonna do next to be really honest like I think yes I think that's the thing that really excites me the most. Um, yeah. 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 So that's it for us this week. If you're watching anything, anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com. That's all one word, criticismisdead at gmail.com. Or you can at us or DM us at criticismisdead, again, all one word, no spaces, on Twitter and Instagram. For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. So, as always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with a lovely five stars. That would be very kind of you. And tell a friend about us because, you know, you think you should spread the love. We will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Liu and Jenny Chishan. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu. 